Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. As the world teetered on the brink of global conflict in 1939, the American professional football season roared to life. While the headlines were dominated by the rising tide of fascism in Europe, on the gridiron, rivalries were renewed, legends were born, and the game continued to captivate a nation through innovation and some loss of some great figures. We're talking about the 1939 professional football season in Football History Rewind, part number 83, coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren. He's at pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And boy, we have a great show for you today. We are going to go back in time and talk about Football History Rewind, part number 83 and the 1939 professional football season. But before we do, let's just make sure you're aware we have our first book hit Amazon just a few weeks ago. It's titled The World's Greatest Pro Gridiron Team, the 1903 Franklin All-Stars. And boy, is it filled with history. It's one of these forgotten teams that can't believe anybody forgot about because they are truly a dominant team. You can find it at Amazon or on the front page of pigskindispatch.com or jerseydispatch.com. Now, there was more than just looming war that affected the game back in 1939. Was, you know, remember, we're on the verge of World War II at the time. Longtime NFL president Joe Carr unexpectedly passed away in May of 1939, just three months after signing a new 10-year contract to lead the NFL. Now, Carr had been there since the beginning of the league. And in its second year, he became its president, taking over for Jim Thorpe. And he molded the fledgling organization as its architect of the initial reorganizing as he nurtured growth, steered through controversies with discipline and lasted rival leagues and changed the course and the direction of the National Football League. Carl Stork, the former owner of the Dayton Triangles and another founding owner, present at the beginning of the league, took over as Carr's successor. But it was hard to fill the shoes of a man who had done so much for the league. We have uh, more on that story from a couple years ago when we got to talk to our friend Chris Willis of NFL Films who did a biography on Joe Carr. Great book and it's a great podcast episode. Go and check it out, pigskindispatch.com. 
1939 season was also an experiment in ways to get the NFL product out there into households across the land. Remember, college football is still king at that time. NFL and professional football are a very distant second in the eyes of football fans. So they ended up having a TV broadcast of a game in Albany, New York's audience, 1939. <laughs> That's a long time ago. And it was the uh, Albany area. It was a bold move by the NFL. And it's now known as the first broadcast of a National Football League game. As on October 22nd, the Brooklyn Dodgers defeated the Philadelphia Eagles 23-14 in a game played at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. It was figured that Albany might have more television sets uh, than any other place nearby, and it was an easy broadcast to get it up to Albany. That's why they chose that locale. Now, it may have not have been deemed a success then, but it helped pave the way for future considerations in television broadcasts of sporting events, which would turn the National Football League into the behemoth big business it is to us in modern times. Where would it be without football? That's where most of its revenue comes from. The regular broadcasts of games, though, would not occur for another 12 years in 1951, partly due to World War II sort of interrupting everything going on in the world, but it also brought in the technology needed to make television even better than it was back in 1939, just from some of the wartime developments of uh, some technology. Now, the season was also filled with some innovative rules changes going into 1939. First of all, an illegal receiver touching a pass. Now, if an ineligible receiver touched a forward pass, it would result in a 15-yard penalty and a loss of down for the offense. This is a new concept in the NFL at the time. Also, if an ineligible receiver is downfield before the forward pass is thrown, the offense would be penalized 15 yards and loss a down at that time. So the illegal receiver downfield early is the name they were sort of nominating that. We know that uh, ineligible downfield by today's uh, standards and names. Now, if a kickoff went out of bounds after being touched only by the receiving team, they regained possession of the ball at the spot where it went out. Uh, the 1939 season is considered a big step for the NFL. After all, uh, attendance ga in games had climbed over 14% in 1938, uh, more than the previous season's totals of tickets sold. Now, Joe Carr was a big part of that. That's why he got that 10-year contract. Fortunately, he would, did not uh, have the opportunity to fulfill his duties for those 10 years or even a single year from his untimely passing of a, a sudden heart attack in May of that year. But according to Wikipedia, the most significant draw was the home games of the New York Giants, who averaged just shy of 39,000 fans per home game. Pretty big numbers for that time for pro football. On the opposite end of the spectrum, the Pittsburgh Pirates, as they were called at the time, averaged less than 12,000 fans per contest at their home venue in the Steel City in 1939. Now, the season had some really close divisional races, some of the closest that had been known to football that far. Uh, it was divided, remember, into the Western and the Eastern divisions. It was a 10-team league, five in each league uh, division. 
uh, the Western Division title and the Eastern title came down to the last two weeks of the season before being decided. The West was determined in a matchup of Green Bay and Detroit, who were the divisional leaders with two weeks to go. The pack was trailing the Lions in the second half. And a win by Detroit would force a divisional playoff between the two clubs at a later date. Now, Green Bay avoided this extra game by Hall of Fame back Clark Hinkle scoring a late fourth quarter go-ahead touchdown to provide a 12-7 victory for the Packers and to propel them into the NFL title game with one more game to play for each team to play. So, But they had secured it that way by beating Detroit. Now, the Eastern Division was even closer than the West, and it went into the final weekend of the regular season as the New York Giants and the Washington Redskins were dead even at eight one-and-one records. Their only head-to-head beating prior to this final game of the season was the uh, scoreless tie earlier, and Washington scored the game's only touchdown in this finale, but they ended up losing the game 9-7, to on three New York football Giants field goals. What a way to lose that. So the Giants and the Packers would advance into the NFL championship game. and But that game was a little bit less competitive than the games we just talked about in the second to last and last week of the season to get the nomination to go and have the right to play for the National Football League title. Green Bay trounced the visiting New Yorkers in Wisconsin by the score of 27 to nothing to win another NFL crown. On the individual side, the Philadelphia Eagles rookie quarterback Davey O'Brien led all NFL passers with 13,024 yards in rushing. Bill Osmaski of the Chicago Bears rumbled 699 yards to lead all ball carriers, and Green Bay's Don Hudson dominated the receiving honors with 846 yards received in the air. And that is the 1939 National Football League season. Uh, We had the loss of Joe Carr. We had some rules changes, some great divisional races that uh, really made the the end of the season quite interesting. Unfortunately, a a poor one-sided title game. But the next year, it gets into the war years. And things start to really change in football, not only from a manpower issue, but from rules and development and formation, as we will start to see in our next few episodes of the Football History Rewind. You know, check us out here in the next few weeks. And But before that, you know we have some great uh, posts that we're going to be putting up on Pigskin Dispatch, which we do daily. And we have a couple uh, other Pigskin Dispatch podcasts coming out before the next Football History Rewind installment. So make sure you check those out. And until next time, have a great Gridiron Day. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. A special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast.
This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.